0: I don't know what you think about church, you know, when you come into church relatively new and you're kind of new to things, you know that sometimes we, we have perceptions of how things should be going on, you know, you guys are doing it wrong, there's no there's no robes, you know, where's the chanting, if you're from the south maybe, you know, I I should be sweating by now and wiping my brow and shouting at you, I don't know, I don't know what your picture of church, you know, is like, but... But most of us have some kind of an idea about that. And people ask a lot, you know, when I ta- tell them just, hey, I'm a pastor and it's right down the street or it's over here or whatever, well, what kind of church is it? And that's a really big question. I mean, that's, you can go a lot of different directions with that. But here's my short and simple answer, and here's, here's why we may or may not have, you know, tissues that come out and wipe my brow because I'm getting worked up or, or robes or whatever it may be, is we hold... The Bible is our authority. This is what we submit to. We joyfully submit to it. We're an independent Bible church. We've been planted by another church, and we have fellowship and community with others, but we're independent of that, and we trust Jesus as our Savior. We preach from the Bible every Sunday. That's why it's in the name of our church. And so that's my answer to them. I just tell them that. And sometimes that leads out into some different things, but we're not a caricature of religious people that you see on The Simpsons or in movies or whatever else. And we may be a little different than than what you grew up with, and that's okay. And what we would invite you to do is to look in the Bible, um, and uh, if we have liberty to be doing it from the Scriptures, then, then we feel liberty to, uh, to pursue things that way. Um, the big message of Jesus, here's one of the big messages of Jesus is this is that the kingdom of heaven is a giant party and against all odds, you are invited. I mean, that is one of the great themes. That's one of the things, we looked at this in detail last week. And and more than that, there's still room for you. There's still room for you in the kingdom of God. So if you're here and you're not in the kingdom of God, that is the good news. That's what Christians preach. And, of course, if you're a Christian here, it should land on our ears. Like, wow, there's still work to be done. There's still people to invite. And that was a big part of what last week was about. Now, we didn't get into this, but there is a dress code to this wedding feast that Jesus talks about. And he shares this parable in a couple different places. And in one of them, there's a king that gets really mad because someone's not dressed appropriately at the feast. And you're like, wow, I guess God does care what we wear at church, despite what we sometimes hear. Here's what that's talking about. Okay, Here's the dress code for the kingdom of God. The dress code is to put on Jesus. That's our dress code. He's our robe. He's our clothes. Now, nothing in the wedding feast was prepared by you. It's all done by God. Every last bit of it. Do you hear that? Nothing is done by you. It's all done by God. The only part you play is to show up. That's it. Well, how do you get into the feast? You just got to be dressed right. But Jesus has thought of that too. So he's provided himself. So you don't even have to worry about your clothes. You get invited for free. It's all prepared for free. All you're doing is receiving it. That is the good news. Now, if you think, wow, that's such a poetic way of communicating the gospel. Jesus came up with it. All I'm doing is lifting it off of Jesus, okay? As you read parables, if you're a Christian and you're thinking, how can I communicate the gospel in such a way where, you know, the the bridge diagram has been saturated and people kind of hear that and shut down. Jesus used all these different metaphors and pictures and stories that kind of sometimes just just kind of get, get right in past all of that today wraps up a series that we've been in for about a month. And it's been an emphasis that we've had for a month. We've called it Reach Out and Welcome In. But while it's the end of a series, we've been saying this almost every week, it's not the end of the assignment. The assignment goes on. What we're about as a church to reach out and welcome in goes on. Um, but but the, the series will end here. Uh, here's my question for you. How, how far are you willing to reach? We know from Romans fifteen seven, our key text for, for the month, we know that we're to reach out and welcome in as Jesus did to us. So here's my question for you. How far are you uh, willing to reach out? Go ahead and, and hit it, guys. All right. So minions can teach us. I don't know if you know that. You're, you just think you're watching a movie. Minions can teach. Okay. Here's what I want you to grab from that. I want you to grab, can we get these lights back on? I want you to grab that there's lots of creativity in how we reach out. There's all different kinds of ways. But here's the second thing that you see from that. Christians can get sidetracked as to what they're doing, right? In the midst of reaching out, in the midst of being creative, all of a sudden there could be competitions within a church saying, no, this reach out method is better than that reach out method. All of a sudden we've got referees in the church, you know, kind of handling the, the infighting of church. And all of a sudden, reaching out and welcoming in people from the highways and byways, all of a sudden you have referees, you have competitions, and all of a sudden the focus of that is where? It's on us rather than other people. So as we reach out and welcome in, here's what I promise you. If God continues to steer our church into a place where we are reaching out to the people that Jesus tells us to reach out to hear me, There will be older brother syndrome in this church. There will be people sitting in this church saying, that person doesn't deserve the kingdom of God. Now, of course, theologically, they'd be right, right? And we could give them a mirror and say, neither does this person deserve the kingdom of God but I pray that we have to go through and break down some of the barriers that older brother syndrome comes in. Older brother syndrome, by the way, is just from the prodigal son. It's the older brother who's embittered that his brother who went and squandered the wealth on wild partying is now back, and somehow he gets back in the good graces of the father. The father in that story is God. What does the father in that story do? Isn't it something like this? Arms wide open. Get in here. I do not hold your sins against you. That's the message of the gospel. In Jesus, he doesn't hold our sins against him. So as we talk about reaching out and welcoming in, this week is the how and help portion of this. So last week we got the message from Jesus from the parable. Uh, Listen, all the people you've invited, that's great. Go out even further. Jesus, we did that. That's great. Go out even further. Well, how do we do that? I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's near the back of your Bible, and that's going to be our text for the morning. I've got you flipping around a little bit, but we'll start here. Let me pray um, as you're turning. You can keep your eyes open in prayer and turn to the Bible. That's allowed. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word that instructs us. God, would you make us a people that are happily submissive to you? God, not in duty form, not in have to, but get to. God, that has to come from you. It's not from my uh, great communication skills. It's not from um, the clever use of video, God. It's really just a work of the Spirit. So that's what we're inviting you to do right now. Uh, God, help us to be to be gladly submissive to what we read and what we hear and what we understand this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter, chapter one. Verse 4 says this, And by that same mighty power, He has given us all His rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence all around you caused by evil desires and that you will share in His divine nature. So make every effort, verse 5 says, to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Make every effort to apply these promises, the the benefits of these promises, to your life. Stop there for a moment. To understand this passage and to be able to obey this passage, it, it presupposes that you understand and know what the promises of God even are. If you don't understand the promises of God, how can you possibly make every effort to apply the benefits of those promises to your life? So learning and understanding what God promises is really, really critical. So what are the promises of God? Let me shoot off a couple of to you. One is this. God gives you life. Remember that Jesus promised eternal life? That's a promise from the mouth of God. God is the visible uh, picture of what what the invisible God is like. So he offers us eternal life life That's a promise of God. He promises that we'll be free from sin's grip. The truth will set you free. That's a promise from God that you'll be free. You used to have to do these things. Now you're freed from them. Now you actually have a choice. Go lock yourself up to the handcuffs of sin or walk free. It's now your choice. Before you were powerless to it. That's what a slave is. They're locked up. You're free. That's a promise of God. Make every effort to, make, to have the benefits of that promise come true in your life. Do you see the partnership with God? It's just woven all through the Scripture. Here's one more. This is so powerful. You are never alone. You're not alone. That's a massive theme of Scripture. I'm with you in this. You are not alone. Catch this. Ever. Ever. That's a massive promise of God. Friends, I long for you to know and memorize and understand what the promises of God are. I mean, these are some of the great truths that have comforted suffering saints, joyful saints, through all the ups and downs of life, is to just cling to the promises of God. But you have to know what they are. You have to know what the promises of God are. Let's keep going. It says then, so if then, right, conditional. If this stuff goes on, then this stuff's going to go on. Do you see the progression? Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God better leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians, and finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A question that every good preacher of the Word of God preaches should be this, so what? We understand the knowledge. How does that apply? It's talking about application. How does this change your life? I'm not interested in week by week coming and dispersing biblical knowledge to you. You can go to seminary for that and pay tons of money. I'd rather take the Word of God and, and teach it, but then say, here's how it affects real life. What does it change in real life? It changes everything. Trusting and living in light of God's promises literally changes your life daily in very tangible and practical kinds of ways. Do you see what I have highlighted here? Love for other Christians and then genuine love for everyone. Have you caught our series? Remember what we started with? Reach out and welcome in. We spent two weeks talking about just loving the brethren. That means loving those who are already in the family of God. And then that begins to grow and spill out to say love for everyone. One of the things that we do as elders, one of the qualifications, think about this, the way you figure out who should be leading the church, who should be shepherding the church. And when you look at that, you see the qualifications talk about is the man being a shepherd in his own family. That's what it's asking. It's asking that question. Go and look at how he's shepherding his family. Because if he's not laying down his life sacrificially for his bride, if he's not getting underneath and serving his children and shepherding them when they wander, nurturing them when they're discouraged, faithfully teaching God's word to them in a way that they can understand, these are his blood relatives. How's he going to go out for someone that he may or may not like in the church? So if he's doing it well here, then we'll say maybe he can be entrusted with the church of God, the the people of God. So it is with us when we look at how love for other people grows. It grows. Do you see what it comes from? It comes from all these other things. It comes from a life that's been changed from the inside out. When we look at the end of this long list, we see that things like faith are required and moral excellence and and knowledge, which is then going to lead to self-control. And then there's patient endurance, and then that's going to lead to godliness. And then we say godliness, godlikeness, is going to lead to loving other Christians because God loves his children. You're going to turn your eye on your siblings, your Christian siblings, in a different way, and it's going to be from God. Because God's forming himself in you. And then out of that, you're going to start to love strangers. People who are way different than you. People who vote different, drive different, look different, smell different, and eat different. And you're going to start to love them. And you're going to start to be a testimony to your own self to say, wow, God is doing a work in me. I used to judge that person outright. Now I'm loving him. Now I'm reaching out and welcoming him in. Wow, that's Christ forming himself in me. The promise I want to consider today in terms of our motivation is this one. Jesus promised he's coming back. Jesus promised he's coming back. That's the truth statement that Christians cling to. It's a hope-filled statement. He's going to come and make all things new. He's going to come and set everything right. There's coming a day when all of this messed up, screwed up world is going to be set straight. It's not yet, but I'll tell you what, today it's closer than it was yesterday. I will return. That's a statement of hope, but it's also a statement of warning. To those of you who are in the family of God and who have a love relationship with Jesus and you're, you know you've put on Christ as your hope for righteousness, you can't wait for Jesus to come back. You cannot wait. For those of you who have been told the truth and either outright rejected it or you're just trying to silence that voice that you think this is still really true, but that stuff the prodigal son went off and did looks awfully fun. To you, it's a word of warning. To a Christian who it's it's their hope, he's saying, Lord, come quickly. That's in a lot of songs. That's in a lot of Christian writing, Lord, come quickly. But for the one running from God, they're saying, could you hold off a little bit? Just until I get through this season of my life, I'll, I'll put it off a little bit. I want you to catch that this promise that God made that I am coming back actually serves to motivate us and kind of educate us on on how we're to reach out and welcome in. For starters, there's a ticking time to this. There's a sense of urgency to saying, when should I reach out and welcome in? Now. I mean, I, I hope from last week A great thing happened last week. Someone got convicted about some things that the Scripture taught, and they came up to you right after the service, and they said, I need to meet with you because I need to change some things about my lifestyle to to be obeying the Scriptures better. Can we meet now? I said, wow, that's a work of the Holy Spirit that you did that because many of us can kind of have it stirred up quickly, and then five minutes later, what are we thinking about? Lunch, right? I mean, come on, that was great, Pastor, but I'm hungry. I've got to eat. You know, It's been several hours. So we'll talk about that later. But to be convicted by the Word of God and to say, man, I need to schedule time and do something about it, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That was awesome. That's a great thing to see. So, so when the time is now for God's children to go and share. Flip over to Romans. Remember we were in Romans uh, kind of at the start of this. In Romans chapter 12, we spent the first week in Romans 15, and the second, second week was in Romans 12. And in Romans 12, 9 through 13, that's where we landed on. That's talking about how to treat other Christians. How do you treat your siblings in the family of God? It started with this. Stop faking it. Let love be sincere. It's not genuine. Quit playing the game. And then we kind of rattled off. There was all these imperatives packed into a few verses. Remember that? Here we're going to turn our attention now in verse 14 to those outside of the faith. Paul kind of starts with those inside the faith. And now he's turning his attention uh, as to to how we're going to, to, um, to, to treat people outside the faith. So with this promise of Jesus is coming back, okay, as kind of a backdrop, we say this, Jesus is coming back, therefore we will do these following things with other people. Here it is, Romans chapter 12 verse 14. Therefore we will bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Is there not plenty to do in that verse for the rest of our life? I mean, you will need to work on this for the rest of your life. You know why? Because you're going to meet new people. Just about the time you figured out with the people you know currently, there's going to be a new person. And you're like, oh, I just got my life in order where I'm living peaceably so far as it depends on me with everyone, and then they join next to me? Man. And Romans twelve nine through 18, are passages just talking about how to love one another. There is so much need for you to be on your prayer and ask the grace of God to transform your wicked heart when you read those passages. It shows you just the need you have, no matter how far along we are in the journey. So we love this way. We welcome this way because Jesus did it first. He showed us how to do it. And in showing us how to do it, he actually empowers us how to do it. All right, if you're taking notes, just write down Acts 17. You don't need to turn there. But in Acts 17, starting in verse 22, Paul is going to illustrate doing this really, really well. He is a guy who lived every day of his life from what we can gather, convinced that Jesus was saying the truth when he said, I'm coming back. And Paul saw it as a great comfort. Man, what can people do to me? I mean, if you kill me, I'm with Jesus. But if I'm here, I get to keep warning people and teaching people and showing people about Jesus. Don't you hate to be Paul's captor? You're like, "Mm, bummer. What do we do? I mean, he lived his life utterly convinced Jesus is coming back. So the benefits of that promise were being used in his life to to move the gospel forward. So God fills him up with courage to share well in this public place. And I'll kind of recap the story for you. It basically says this. He goes along and he wanders through and he sees all these religion things set up, all these idols to other gods. And Paul goes and does what he can do. He affirms, he he makes agreements with that with, with which he can make agreements with. Instead of coming in and saying, you guys have this all wrong. Here's what he says. I see, men of Athens, that you're religious in every way. And you know what they did with that? That was a good word back then. That's right. You got it right. We are religious. It was a compliment. He was coming in and making a truth statement. I see that you're religious in every way. And then he says this, hey, I found this one idol. Paul's been walking through the culture. He's not hidden out in the Christian sub-ghetto, right? And he finds this altar to the unknown God, and he says, hey, that which you worship unknowingly, let me tell you about him. He's the God that made every single thing that you see. And he he begins to show who God is to these people. And then he says this in Acts 17, 27. He says, God did this. He created all this stuff. All this scene is done so it would turn your attention to the unseen. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Catch this. Though he is not far from any one of us. This is Paul not just leaving flyers. Welcome, welcoming them to a potluck next month at his church. This is Paul going in and loving people enough, caring about people enough to kind of study what's important to these people. Belief always drives your behavior, right? What do they believe? What are they getting out of this? And then he just begins to preach them. He starts with something that's common to everyone. Hey, all the stuff you see, how do you think it got there? There's a creator. And then he moves it into this this thing, right? And he says that God is not far from each one of us. You know that every Christian has at least that one person in their life where they say this, that person is so far from God. You have one of those? Most of us have several of those, right? It's that person that if they got saved and proclaimed the name of Jesus, you would have to have someone give you water in 10 minutes because you'd be passed out on the ground. I mean, you'd be just shocked. Why? Because they are so far from God. Here's my question for you. Um, Are they related to any Christians? And you're like, uh, yeah, it's my uncle. Guess what? Then God is close. Do they live near any Christians? Uh, Yeah, that guy I'm talking about, he's my next-door neighbor. Well, then God's not far from them at all. God's close. Not far from God. God. Do they even know any Christians? Uh, Yeah, it's my manager at work. Well, Well, then God's not far from them. Do you get it? The reason God is not far from each one of us is because he has a remnant. He has a people, and it's you. And you are near these people. They are so far from me as the pastor. They're so far from sitting in a church quietly for an hour. But they're not far from God. Here's another promise. You'll never alone because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. So quite literally, God is close to them in you being close to them. So I want you to rethink. I need to rethink that person who's so far from God. Wow, God, but I know them. (laughs) I live next to them. I work for them. I'm related to them. Maybe there's a reason for that. All right. Here's some really practical hows. I want to take you back two weeks because there were some hurdles to relationships about how how to just kill things before they even begin. And they apply not just to siblings in the family of God, but to people outside of of the faith, outside of the family of God. Here they are very, very quickly. These are hurdles um, that, that will cause blockage with you. The first one is sin. If there is sin in a relationship what happens is that begins to build a brick wall. And you go, we can't feel close. It feels like a brick wall. That's because there's sin there. That's what that is. When you lie to other people and that comes out, that's sin. The sin's been there all along. There's a certain blockage because I'm now diverting energy saying, I hope Troy doesn't find out that I'm lying. Now it's found out. Now it's from his end too. And he goes, wow, there's distrust. There's lying. That's a wall, right? Betrayal goes on there. Greed goes on there. Pride goes on there. Selfishness is in there. Those are just things that that build up walls. So when there's sin, it's hard to build relationship. Isn't it beautiful that Christ's victory on the cross, it not only removes the power of sin, but it removes the effects of sin in our life. Therefore, a husband and wife can relate to each other on a brand new way. Father and daughter can can reconcile and apply the gospel in a brand new way. So sin is the, the first one. The second one is just relational sloppiness. Very quickly, this is already knowing what to do. You just don't do it. You're just being careless in your relationship. You don't need another book on how to relate to people. People, people don't like being lied to. You don't need a book for that, right? People like being affirmed. Really? Need a seminar? I don't know. I not know that. So relational sloppiness is not, it's not like you need more information. You're just not doing what you already know. It's not being careful because we take people for granted. Relational clumsiness is the unexplained weakness at inopportune time. It's the dropsies—you just drop stuff, and you're like, "Oh, that was the wrong thing to say in this moment." I wished I had dropped a plate because I think that would be easier to kind of glue back together than what I just said. Oops. Um, Accidents happen, but they still hurt, remember? This happens in my house almost daily, yesterday, almost as if on cue. Eli comes down crying. Cassie comes down behind her. I said I was sorry! (laughs) She wanted the judicial part, right? I'm in the clear! Sign off my ticket. said, so Cassie, give the little kid a hug. It still hurts. The accident was he flew off the bed. Now, I wasn't up there. I'm not sure exactly how it went down. But falling off the bed when you're three is like jumping off the roof. Okay, So it's, it's painful. Give the kid a hug. All he wanted was a hug. So accidents happen, but they still hurt. And what you do next time is you slow down. Be a little more careful next time. You learn from accidents, right? Number four is relational ignorance. Sometimes you just have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I mean, this happens all the time in relationships. I think, I think something big is going on right now. I just don't know what. I don't know what's happening, you know? And you're just there. And, and, and I would say this, that, that as you're in relationship with people, you don't ding people for them not having that, you know, not having that information. Right? There's just ignorance that goes on, and you will go through life, and you will just not connect with certain people. You're like, man, I try to understand that person. I, it's just so hard. So relational ignorance. So those all apply, whether you're talking about the family of God or whether you're saying, man, I want to go out, and I want to, I want to reach out and welcome into the highways and byways. I'm going to keep doing it to my family and friends, but, man, I, God, push me further. Here, Here's some, here some action items for you. I just want to give you four quick action items. The first one is to pray. We aren't God. We can't change people. The goal is not to invite them to church and get them to church and you go, yippee, they're in church. Who cares? We could all give out $20 every week and people would come to church. That's not the goal. The goal is life transformation, which you can't accomplish. So that's why I start with prayer. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, says this. First of all, then I urge that supplications prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Those are all different kinds of praying, by the way. Be made for all people. All people. And then he goes on to say this. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Do you know who we're to pray for? Everyone. All people. Why? Because God desires that all people everywhere would be saved and come to a knowledge of him. Do you get that this is a big assignment? Do you get that this isn't a month of September assignment? Do you get that this isn't an individual assignment? It's a community effort. So pray for all kinds of people. There are people you never pray for. They just aren't. One of the ways you do is you start to educate yourself. One of the things that we have in the back right here is a whole a whole board dedicated to these children in Ethiopia that many of us in this room sponsor through World Vision. We're coming up in a couple of months on Orphan Sunday, and we're going to be talking some more about that. But, but the way that you start caring for people that you never pray for is you start to learn about them. If you're not personally friends with some missionaries, I will send you just some little updates that friends of mine around the world send to me. And when I read those, I remember, oh, yeah, life is a little different on the mission field in that particular country. God, I'm going to pray for those brothers and sisters there. And those people who are holding out, um, Lord, come quickly. We're clinging to the promise that you'll come back right now. Christians in North Korea who are being persecuted, who's praying for them? If I'm in a prison cell there, I'm going, certainly my brothers and sisters who are free to pray and practice their faith openly, surely they're praying for us. So so pray for all kinds of people. Pray for all kinds of people that would be saved, that would come to faith in him. So that's that's the first one. Number two is this, get clear on what is being offered. There's nothing worse than offering what God doesn't offer. I've heard people sharing their faith on a bus or on a plane before, and I start praying for them. God, would you just fill them up with the words that need to be heard in this circle? And then I start going, oh, uh, uh, no, no, no. Oh, no. What? No. That's not true at all. What? What? Like, I guess I got to get involved. Like, that's not true at all. I mean, it gets really weird when people start, you know, the, the gospel is good news. It's actually great news, but it's God's good news. It's not man's good news. If we all invented the gospel, it would involve something that we really enjoy, right? John Thomas likes to ride motocross. So for him, he's like, yeah, if you become a Christian, you get to ride motocross as much as you want. And you never get hurt. (laughs) Really? Did God say that? Yeah, dude, it's in the good book. Oh, okay. I mean, man's good news gets skewed toward man, right? It's God's good news. Offer what God does. That's why we get really clear on what God promised and what he didn't. God helps those who help themselves. That's, yeah, it's like Franklin Roosevelt or something. Like, look that up. That's not God. It's actually opposite of that. The only one who gets God's help are those who realize they can't help themselves. That's what I think the Beatitudes are talking about. So we get really clear on what we're offering. Because if not, what happens is we, we begin to offer things that aren't really true. All right, number three is this. We get clear on how we are to offer it. If are taking notes, just write down 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6 say this. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Catch this. The ministry you have to go and, and be a reconciler of God for people is, is being sent by God. It's by the mercy of God that you're in the know to come and bring people to Jesus. So we don't lose heart in that. He goes on to say this, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. As you go out and share the gospel, get clear on what the gospel is, and then get clear on how we're to do it. The truth doesn't need tricks or help. We don't need to add to God's word. We don't need to to come up with fancy new ways to say it. It's the truth. Offer it plainly. Tell it plainly. He finally goes on to say this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're not here to tell you our glowing testimony. Christians think that their testimony means here's how terrible I was, here's how great I am now. Oh, but I mean, God gets the credit. That's right. I almost forget that part. But let's get back to me being great. Um, here's how good my life is. I mean, I mean, and then what happens is this. Guess what? As a Christian, you have marital problems. As a Christian, you have parenting problems. As a Christian, you have financial problems. As a Christian, you make really stupid career choices. As a Christian. You are tempted by the most vile of sins. And sometimes, maybe often, you fall and stumble. Well, if our Christian testimony is here's how great life is with God, because all our problems go away, because I'm not clear on the gospel at all, what am I now doing? I'm on the path to hypocrisy, right? I've got to cover that stuff up. I don't want to drag Christ's name through the mud. We better have a perfect household. We better have a perfect career. We better never struggle with those things. So it leads to all kinds of wacky stuff. We get clear on how we're to offer it. Hey, here's the truth of the matter. You want to know the truth of the matter? I struggle. And and I even know better. God set me free. I've got a choice now. I used to have no choice. But now I have a choice, and sometimes I go back and willingly lock myself up to the handcuffs of sin. God's mercies are new every morning. And when I confess, he's faithful and just to cleanse me and purify me and forgive me for my sin. Praise God. That's the truth. Brother, sister, you need that. That's good news. That's not God comes for those who are cleaned up and perfect. That's someone saying, I think I could use a God like that. So when we try to help God by adding to his word, by doing these different things, it's problematic. But number four is this. Go out and welcome in. The last part of it, just go do it, Right? Go to the poor, the sick, the least likely you think that, that you'd uh, think would come to Christ and invite them. Remember, it's not to the exclusion of family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. It's in addition to. You've probably already tapped that source, though. just had a conversation with someone this week, and, and I, I totally thought of this passage. I thought, wow, they're the person who essentially was giving me a lame excuse. They weren't ready for it. With all of these, I would say this, be proactive with an emphasis on the active and not the pro. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm not a pro, so I'm not going to go do stuff. I would say, go, go do stuff. Get out there and start walking by faith, and God will, will move in those things. All right, there's a handful of opportunities that I want to say to just give you some really practical tips. Love, Inc., these are some ways to reach out and welcome them. Because I could stand up here all day and berate people. When I first took over this one youth group, there was a handful of kids there. I kept saying, invite your non-Christian friends, invite your non-Christian friends. Hey, get up there and invite your non-Christian friends. Finally, this one kid was like, "Uh, Dave, yeah, we don't have any non-Christian friends. I go, really? They said, yeah, most of us are homeschool or private school, and many of us have just grown up with with Christians. I said, "You have no non-Christian friends. Oh, I should quit beating you up about not inviting non-Christian friends, huh? Yeah, that might be good. You know, I mean, just let's just say it. So, so I can say all oh, you want, reach out and go welcome someone. Some of you will go, cool, Dave mentioned that there's homeless people that sometimes live under the bridge at Almaden and Branham, true story. I'm going to go down there uh, with a partner and go, go check things out, and I'm going to go bring the gospel to them. I would say that's a sliver of you. I don't think most of you are going to go do that. So what I want to do is I want to offer you some, um, some steps toward that. Okay, Here's a couple of opportunities. One is Love, Inc. If you serve with Love, Inc. or have served with Love, Inc. before, would you just stand up for a moment? Stand up if you've been a part of Loving. Okay, stay standing for a moment. I want these people to stay standing because of this. There is a movement going on. God is doing things in our church um, all the time. And we don't stand up here and talk a whole ton about it, partly because we're not supposed to know what our left hand is doing from the right hand. God's just doing it. But what Love, Inc. is is this. We, Loving said this. They said, man, if there were tangible needs within our community that were legitimate and someone took the time to go find out, is this really a like a legitimate need or not, I bet there are Christians who would joyfully go and meet those needs if we could just connect the, the dots for them. That's what loving's is about. Before you sit down, if you are interested in finding out more about loving, in a couple of months, maybe in a month, we're going to re-up. We do this talent survey every, every year. And what we do is we say, if you fill it out one year, we're not just going to keep calling you for the next 25 years. That stinks. We're going to do it every year. So we're going we're gonna to trash the old one, and you need to re-up every year. So in, a, in about a month, this is a little pre, precursor to that. Come talk to one of these people. You can go and sit down now. Thank you. Come talk to one of these people. Hey, he mentioned it very briefly. What's that about? Find out about Love, Inc. Here's the second one. The second one is Guadalupe Kids Club. There's an elementary school um, a few miles that way, just a couple of miles. Sharon Adam uh, heads that up. Just raise your hand for a second, Sharon. She will be more than happy to talk to you more about that, but they need people um, uh, as, as a part of that there 's already a lot of people who are serving from our church in this. This is an open window of time right now where where our public schools are saying it is okay to come and and be doing these kids' clubs that openly and blatantly share the Christian gospel. How many are coming to club right now fifty six kids are coming from from this from this elementary school. Um, and it's an open door. It won't be there forever. Time's ticking on, on this kind of stuff. So come talk to Sharon if that's, your, if that's your gig. And there's all kinds of different roles for that. Um, now, I know what some of you are thinking, you're thinking, Dave, these are great opportunities if you actually like to talk to people. Uh, that sounds kind of hard. I don't know. I don't really like that. I live in the Silicon Valley because we've invented all these technologies where I don't have to talk to people. In fact, this is the one time of the week I've actually got to be with people. Those seem hard. Do you have anything else? I do. Okay, Here they are. Um, technology um, is, is, um, is able to be used for huge, huge evil, and there's all kinds of news stories about all these things that are going on with technology and the evil that goes on with it. And it's also a massively uh, somewhat untapped tool for the gospel to spread. I want to give you a couple of quick ideas about how you can reach out and welcome in nameless people that you may never know you have an impact on. But if you would go with me on a cold December day, which many of you have, and walk around our neighborhoods just to knock on doors, introduce ourselves, invite people to a blood drive, whatever we've done in the past. How how easy is it to to carve out 15 minutes once a week and think in terms of like, you know, a little Computer evangelist. Go, what could I do to use my phone, my tablet, my computer for the glory of God? Here's, here's a couple of things, okay? Um, one is a, a, um, a service called Yelp. How many of you use Yelp and know what I'm talking about when I say that, okay? Um, there are many people. I met a guy last last week right here. How did you find out about us? I always ask, how did you hear about the church? And I would say at least 50% um, have found us online And if you didn't find us online, if you see the church before you come, you're going to check us out online. Um, One of the things that you can do, and I don't want to manipulate this, okay, but many of you in this room are very excited about our church. You are very excited about the things God is doing at our church. Would you please yelp about it? Would you go and just write a review? If you think our church stinks, don't yelp. No, I'm kidding. You, You can write that too, right? But if the only two people, I, I went and did a Yelp review of a lot of churches in the area. A lot of them had like the pastor writing. That's it, one review, and then it's like I think he gave himself four stars because five would be a little awkward. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of weird. But but if you're excited about that, don't you do that? I mean, when I travel, I go. I've actually go, I, I go to restaurants all the time based on a Yelp review because someone's excited about it. Just just Yelp just Yelp our church. That would be a huge thing. A second thing. Um, would be, uh, would be Facebook. If you just like our Facebook page, that begins to kind of communicate that, things, that, this, that some things are going on. A handful of you have done a great job. Every time we had an event of any kind, hey, we're doing Operation Christmas Child. Hey, we're doing World Vision. Hey, we have a, two services come up that are focused on this, whatever. And you just post it on your page and that just begins to kind of keep a, a presence there. Every one of our services um, are recorded. If there's a sermon that has been particularly moving to you, share it. Just click share on that with some people. And, again, that just that just is a way. I mean, God has this way of networking. Think about how you came to Christ. Someone reached out, and there's some weird story. This guy shared at Men's Group on Thursday. It was awesome. He he just said, man, there was this, this invite that came. I didn't respond to it right away. It, it took a long time, but it was that invite, that little network in that, that kind of came in. Um, Finally, there's something that's new to me, but it's called nextdoor.com, and I, I joined it. It's a way, it's basically a way for you to have kind of Facebook with your community, your local neighborhood. And um, and a, a pastor buddy of mine told me about this, and it's a way just um, just to be involved with your neighbors. It used to be that you'd walk next door and ask to borrow a chainsaw. I still do, because uh, I'm old school that way. But um, I used to see your neighbors walking around, used to, to know them by name, and what happens is this is a tool to just be able to kind of get, get to know your neighbors. And so um, I went on and joined, and in a relatively small rectangle surrounding uh, Reed Elementary School, there are something like 3,000 people that are involved in this. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And so and so people are able to just start posting some different things and just getting to know your neighbors that way. Um, so, so I would say show some tact. Don't go in there right away and be the Christian crusader. And, you know, just turn it into that. But, but just as a means to just say, man, I care about what's going on in our neighborhood. Let's make this a stronger neighborhood just by kind of knowing each other. Um, all right. Some of you are going, okay, I hate talking to people. Um, I, I don't really – I'm not really good at all that technology stuff. Um, I've, got, I've got one for you, okay? It's chili. Now, um, you see chili and you're like, chili? You're like, man, I have to cook? No. Do you know how to eat chili, okay? If you were a guy and you know how to eat chili – then there's a, there's a tool for you, okay? I mean, we, we've really brought this from the hard down to the very base level, okay? Um, we are doing this. Uh, we're we're going to partner with, with Bayside Church over by Willow Glen High School, and he is just doing a, a chili cook-off. He's saying, hey, pair up and make some chili. We're going to have a chili competition. We're going to bring in an NFL star. It's going to be kind of a safe, simple place to have the gospel shared. Uh, we're going to get together and eat the chili, and then we're done. That's it. So if you know how to eat chili, there's ways to, to reach out. So like the Minions, right, there's all kinds of different creative ways that I'm not mentioning. I'm mentioning four just to kind of get the ball rolling. Band, if you could come on up. Um, we're going we're gonna to keep singing. Um, by the way, you ought to know that our youth right now, the junior hires and high schoolers, are reaching out and welcoming in. Right now, they're about two miles that way at Lincoln Glen Manor. It's a, it's a home for older people who are shut-ins. And they are bringing church to those people. So that's where our high school and junior high, every fifth Sunday, Ben and his team of leaders takes them off-site to go do something. So students are giving testimony. Students are leading the worship. Um, and you can be praying for them right now. But, but what an awesome example just of, of bringing church to people who aren't uh, sitting in our midst. I wrap up with this one verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this, And may the Lord make your love for one another, and for all people. There it is. Your love for one another within the church and for all people. Grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father. When our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Do you see it all tied up right there? There he is. I'm coming back. There's an end date to all of this. There's going to come a day when morning's going to just break forth. But for right now, grow and overflow in your love for one another and your love for all people. That's what we're talking about. God, thank you so much for the, the spurrings that you put on our heart, God, for the conviction that you put on our heart, for the things that you're doing in us, God. I thank you that there are people sitting in this room uh, that, that maybe not so long ago would never have been caught dead opening themselves up and relating to people. God, I thank you for the many who jumped in, who took us up on the on-ramp idea and joined a community group this week. God, that's just incredible to see that. We see that as you advancing your kingdom in our midst. I pray for community group leaders this week that, that they would nurture and care for well the lives of people who are coming in and entrusting an hour and a half of their midweek to them. God, I pray that you would grow us up in our mission. We want to complete it. We want to be found faithful. We want to look forward to and hasten the day that you come back. Help us to live for that uh, even today. In Jesus' name we pray.